0: Guys, we're back on the uh, Coyote Fitness podcast, and we are keeping the streak going of not having been on the show, which we're <laughs> super excited about. We'll see how long <laughs> we can keep it going. <laughs> and we're also continuing our streak by having uh, another guest on today that we're super excited about. Uh, so, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us about our guest and and kind of give us a little background on him today?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited um, about this guy we we've, uh, we've actually have live in the studio today. So that's yeah. uh, that's pretty uh, that's pretty cool. We've got um. Uh, uh, you know, in, uh, in CrossFit, we, uh, we've talked about before that we're always trying to work on the nine, uh, the nine components of fitness in uh, strength, power, speed, endurance, uh, agility, accuracy, uh, flexibility, stamina, endurance. Hopefully that was nine. If not, don't judge me. But uh, today we have, a, we have a kind of a, a specialist on board with us today, and we're going to talk about one of those components, and that is, uh, that is strength. Our guest is a former Division I football player. He's a power lifter. He is a current strength conditioning coach at the University of Kansas. And, little known fact, two-time con- uh, contestant on NBC's hit TV show, The Voice. <laughs> Michael Brinson. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Michael Brinson, everybody. Uh, yeah. This is um, – that la- that last one was a not-so-true fact. I just like to jab at Mike a little bit. because yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was wondering where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike is uh, – Mike's a good, uh, good friend of mine. I met him when I was a uh, – I was a GA. My first year as a GA strength and conditioning coach at uh, at Bellhaven, and um, he was a, a senior at uh, the high school that I went to. and that summer, I got to uh, I got to go out there and uh, work with the football team and um, help with their uh, help with their strength and conditioning. And um, that's where, uh, where me and him uh, where me and him met, and we kind of kept in contact over the years as he uh, as he played football and got into uh, got into coaching. And um, so I guess, Mike, what I wanted to start with is just kind of tell, uh, uh, tell us about your journey going uh, from, you know, high school to college and then getting into coaching and all of that.
2: Yeah, um, so I actually have a quick little story to tell before we get into that. Um, <laughs> about, about you, Chris, specifically, um, <laughs> and what you were talking about, how we met. One of the um, positive things, Mike. <laughs> so, like you said, we both went to the same high school, very, very tiny school. I graduated in 2011. When did you graduate? Uh, 2005. 2005, okay. Um, so, like you said, going into my senior year, he came out to help us. Everybody, being a small school, everybody knew who Chris was. Played college football, college strength coach. You know, we didn't have a very formal strength program. We didn't have a strength coach, anything like that. Of course, all of us excited, you know, okay, we got this guys coming in. He's going to get us strong, get us where we want to go. You know, very excited about that. Um, Everyone except me, <clears throat> however, <laughs> and the reason for that was the year prior to this, I had actually suffered an injury in the weight room, um, and I don't think Chris knows anything about what I'm about to share. But I had hurt my back, being an idiot like many of us are at times, uh, doing something I can't remember specifically what. I think I may have been back squatting or something. But go to the doctor; they thought it was a disc herniation. Didn't turn out to be that serious. It was just a little bulge. Um, something many people have overcome, but I got the typical doctor answer of from now on, no spinal loading, no back squatting, no power cleans, nothing. Okay. Of course, my parents are there with me. They freak out. They go and tell my high school coach who was, you know, supervising us in the weight room. They follow this to a T. All I do is leg press, you know, I'm miserable. I want to lift weights, whatever. Our athletic trainer knows about it, so we hear Chris is going to come help us, and I'm thinking I've got to find a, I've got to find some way to get out of these restrictions. I don't know what I'm going to do. I was like, I'm not going to look soft in front of this guy. I got to do something, right? Somehow, the very first time he had us in the weight room, our head coach is gone, not there. Our athletic trainer's not there. I'm like, okay, this is my opportunity. Chris goes around the room, asks everyone as a group, does anyone have any previous injuries they need to tell me about, any restrictions that they need to tell me about? And, of course, being the honest high school student I was, I said, of course, no, nothing's wrong with me. I'm perfectly <laughs> fine. Load up the bar. Let's go. And uh, off we went. But, um, no, uh, like you said, I uh, grew up in Flowood, played high school football, um, Was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go to Southern Miss to play football. Played uh, four years there as an offensive lineman. Um, When I got done playing, I interned for my current boss um, for a little while, then ended up GAing for him for a little while, and then I got promoted to full-time assistant working with football and track and field. Um, And then in January of this past year, I got the opportunity to go with him to the, or go out and work for him again at the University of Kansas, uh, working only with football. And I've been there since – or been there for about a year now. Um, so, it was a pretty easy transition for me to go from playing football to being a strength coach. Um, I always loved the weight room, uh, loved training, loved lifting weights and everything, you know, that revolved around that. Um, you know, I had a – I guess you'd say a pretty typical – journey that most have that play college sports and end up, uh, working in a weight room, but yeah, that's kind of how I got to where I am now.
1: Yeah. Mike, the, uh, w- one thing that I really want to make sure that we cover in this, uh, in this podcast today is, uh, you know, I have, um, I have parents and, uh, young athletes, uh, that they come to our gym all the time and they tell us, you know, they want to, they want to get stronger they want their kids to, uh, to get stronger. And, um, it's just an arbitrary term that mm-hmm. gets, uh, that gets thrown out from time to time. And, uh, so I wanted to, uh, I want to kind of dig in onto what that actually looks like, because I know, um, when I, uh, by the time I had gotten to UCS and formally met you, um, you had already, uh, you had already, you had been lifting a, a good long while. And, um, I think you were probably, uh, uh, tipping the scales around, around 245, 250 by the time I actually okay. got to UCS. But I do know that, um. In uh in like your when you're your freshman sophomore year you were not nearly you were not nearly that uh that big I think you were kind of, you were uh, taller and um you know probably probably what about about uh, 170 180 around that point? Yeah, yeah I was tall and skinny yeah, yeah. and so uh so we want to just kind of get your insights you know um everybody like, like I said everybody just comes in they use uh I want to get bigger and stronger mm-hmm. they use that as an arbitrary term but let's talk about what that what that actually looks like and I know you have some things that you wanted to cover
2: yeah. So when you're talking about getting strong, um, there's two ways you can go about it. One, you can look at it in terms of, say, like what I do as a power lifter, absolute strength, right? The most weight you can put on the bar for one rep, okay? That's one way to look at it. The second way you can look at it is strong relative to their sport, okay? So when you're looking at athletes, um, different sports are going to require – different amounts relative to, uh, their body weight or relative to the total needs of the sport, um, and strength, right? Obviously a golfer is not going to need the same amount of strength relatively as a football player or basketball player does, right? right? A baseball player needs to be very strong. Yes, but it's in a different, uh, plane of motion than a, uh, sprinter in track and field is right. It's more right. in a rotational sense. So, um, for this, we're going to be talking more about the second uh, way to look at strength more in terms of uh, general strength for an athlete, right? Yeah. And with that being said, there are really three uh, big bullet points I want to hit that not only just for athletes but for anybody who's going to the gym, anyone who's uh, who does like what I do and competes in a in an iron game or – competes in CrossFit or weightlifting or whatever that I think are important for getting strong. Because to me, getting strong is a pretty simple uh, task, but it's so simple that people screw it up because they're looking for shortcuts or they're looking to make it more complicated than it it is. It can be overthought. Very sure. much so. And we're all guilty of doing it. Yeah. Um, everything I'm going to talk about, we've all done at some point, And anyone who's lifted weights long enough has done it at some point. Um, so the first um, big bullet point is patience. Okay, um, As you guys know, anyone who's lifted weights for a long time, getting strong doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process. Um, I don't know who said it, but – the uh the famous quote the minute you start lifting weights is the minute you're not you're never going to be strong enough you're never going to be big enough you're never going to be you know jacked or ripped enough or whatever it is right um so when you when you start out lifting weights you start out training seriously for sport or whatever it is you have to look at it um you know as a long-term process over say immediate success. And that's hard for a beginner because a beginner is going to have immediate success, right? Yeah. You can do whatever you want with a beginner and they're going to get stronger mm. just because their body hasn't adapted to anything. Their nervous system is becoming more efficient. They're learning how to create force. They're tapping into all this, um, this potential in this, in this, uh, muscle tissue that they've never used before. They're going to have immediate yeah. success. So,
1: They're like a baby deer learning how to walk.
2: Yeah, and obviously with that immediate success, they think, oh, this is how it's always going to be. And unfortunately, as anyone who's been lifting weights knows, that's not the case at all, right? Um, So I like to use the term slow cooking when it comes to a beginner. Hmm. Um, You want to keep them as basic and as general as possible for as long as you can. Um, And the reason for that really is, Yes, you can do whatever you want with a beginner and they're going to get success, but with that in mind, you want to set them up for success down the road by laying a good foundation, laying a good foundation in movement capacity. And what I mean by that is their ability to squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, carry, and do those movements with a high degree of uh, success and competency over and over again, right? Right. Goblet squat looks exactly the same rep one, set one, as it does rep five,
1: set eight, or whatever. Right. right? That's movement capacity. That's what you want as a beginner. So it's like what we try to push in our gym mechanics, consistency, then intensity. Exactly.
2: Right. You have to have those things in place before you progress them and move them on. And it not only requires patience from the athlete, it's going to require patience from the coach, too. Because, for example, if you have a beginner athlete, comes into the gym, and you have them three days a week, okay? To me, a perfect program for that for that athlete for three days a week, for, say, four weeks, you spend 10, 15 minutes working whatever your clean progression is or Olympic progression is. It can be top-down, bottom-up, whatever it is. You're working a uh, – we'll say a goblet squat. We're working some kind of hip hinge. It can be a deadlift. It can be an RDL, okay? You're working some kind of upper push pattern. So, we'll just say uh, – a one-arm military press, we're working some kind of pull, so we'll say a row, and then we're doing some body weight stuff, okay? To me, in a perfect world, you do that same routine three days a week or four days a week, however many times you have them, for a month, okay? That's going to be boring to them, and guess what? It's going to be boring to the coach too. Why? Because as as much as, you know, we want to talk about we love coaching every movement, a goblet squat's boring to coach. It is. It's not as exciting as, oh, you know what? We've got heavy doubles on front squat and, you know, heavy clean complexes today, right? Yeah. yeah you you want to get – the coach wants to get to that stuff as bad as the athlete does. Mm-hmm. And so the coach has got to be as patient as um, the beginner is because the, the kid or the athlete or whatever is going to be uh, bugging you about, you know, this is easy. I need to – this isn't getting me better. I need to do more. I need to do more. And, you know, if if they're looking good, then – the coach is going to be tempted to do that, but you have to stick to the plan. Right. Right. Um, which kind of leads me into, like, the next part of this is program hopping. Okay. This is more towards uh, people who have had some experience in the weight room, but um, this is going to be your people that, that start to hit a wall. Right. They're not seeing progress for the first time in their, in their uh, iron journey, if you will. Okay. And they're saying, you know what, this is it. I'm going to switch programs. I'm going to lay a good foundation. I'm going to do something else. This is going to be, you know, what breaks me through that wall. And what happens? Two weeks into it, they're saying, ah, this isn't working. All it's doing is making me sore, beat up. And it's like, well, if you're in week two of a 10-week program, how do you know it's not getting you stronger? Maybe that is what you're supposed to be feeling after two weeks of this program. Yep. You know, you have no idea what happened if you're only a fifth of the way through it. Right? You don't know what the results are going to be in week 10. So that's more so patience of a uh, lifter who's been, who's been doing it for a little longer. Um, and that's something, you know, that we're all guilty of. But um, it, it's just like, you know, kind of how it is in life. If you say you're going to do something, you need to do it. If you say you're going to finish a program, yeah, yeah. you need to do it because you can't – be chasing immediate success, immediate pounds on the bar, median improvements when it comes to training. You've got to be looking at it long-term.
0: Mike, I want to dig in a little bit on what you are talking about with the consistency piece, and mm-hmm. you want the beginners to, you don't want to overcomplicate things for beginners, mm-hmm. and we get a lot of questions from our athletes at the gym, and I know it's pretty common, somebody starting out, and they're making good progress, they're getting stronger, and they, they come up and they say, oh, well, I want to, I think I want to start doing some more stuff. And my my question to them is always, well, are your numbers still going up? Uh, Yeah. Well, keep doing what you're doing because you don't want to teach your body that you have to do all this work for Mm -hmm. it to adapt. You want to take advantage of being able to do as little work as possible to adapt. And then only then when you hit the plateau is when when you change things up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head
2: because beginners have a really hard time understanding that your body adapts to everything you're doing okay, Um, your body is constantly uh, fighting for homeostasis. It's fighting to get back to normal, right? So if your body's gotten used to training at a certain volume, a certain frequency, right, um, if you're still getting progress from that, you don't need to change it. You need to milk that adaptation as long as you can. As long as your body keeps responding to that – you don't need to rush the
1: adaptation by throwing too much on it too early okay yeah. I'll, I'll give a i'll give a quick uh, quick example of that And you know, a couple couple summers ago like all of our strength work you know for like our squats our pulls our presses consisted a lot of with our competition team threes twos mm-hmm. singles things like that and we got you know we got pretty strong over the course of time and then we kind of got to a point where it was getting really really hard to get our to get our squats and everything to jump up and so well, we do the the next summer we we decide we're going to do a uh this twelve week uh five by five cycle. None of us had ever done a five by five cycle mm-hmm. before, and i don 't think we ever went up above eighty eight percent on any of our lists and everybody's numbers skyrocketed yeah just from changing the stimulus yeah and changing uh changing what uh what we were doing
0: and yeah. where you can set yourself up for failure long term is six months into your weightlifting, start going in the gym for two hours, four, five days a week. Yeah. And, yeah, you're going to make progress for a little while, but then eventually you're going to have to keep adding more and keep yeah. going more and more. Right. And then if you drop down to one hour, you're not going to be making right. progress. So you want to take advantage of the the body's ability to adapt to what you're doing for as long as you can.
2: Yeah. You don't want to throw everything you can possibly do right away. Yeah. You know, like you said, if you go in the gym and you start training for two hours a day, where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. You know, no one has time. I say no one, but most people don't have time to train for three hours. Two hours doesn't become enough. So there's nowhere to go from that, yeah. right? Uh, X number of volume, you know, you start out hitting crazy volumes right off the bat. You have nowhere to go from there. You know, so it's, it's being patient, um, I guess you would say, from a programming standpoint as well. Not yeah. trying to put too much on your plate or on your athlete's plate right at the beginning, um, which I guess is a good transition into what would be my second uh, big point with getting stronger, which is good programming. Um, and this is a kind of broad um, topic that I'm gonna I'm gonna try to limit to three uh, main categories. But to me, if you get past the patience thing, which is a very come and go. Uh, concept sometimes you're going to be patient sometimes you're not i mean it is what it is but if you have that nailed down to me this is the most important one okay um what you're putting down on paper to do and are you doing what you put down on paper are you getting off that plan or not um so with programming uh there's three uh big bullet points volume frequency and intensity okay um and depending on what you read um who you who you follow who you model what you're doing after certain uh you'll come up with a certain order of importance of those three to me based on what everything i've read my experiences um who i've worked under and and everything like that to me the most important of the three is volume um in my opinion most people as a whole don't get enough volume okay um most people are capable of recovering from a lot more work than they think they are. They're capable of handling a lot more work than they think they are. And they need a lot more total work to get stronger. You know, someone says they're not getting strong enough. I look at the program and it's like, you're not getting strong enough because you're not doing enough. Just bottom line. Um, And that can be for a couple of reasons. One, it can just be, they don't know any better, right? They haven't done any homework. They haven't read anything. They haven't reached out to anyone. They just they don't know that this isn't enough. This is just what I've always done. Two, they, they go to the gym and they waste time. Yeah. Right? They're screwing around. They're on the phone. They're there f- more for a social thing. And it's like, you know, give me a break. Getting strong is not really important to you. Okay? Yeah. Then the second part of that is people may be getting enough volume, but they're not getting it in the right areas. Right? If I look at your program and at least 50% of it is not your Olympic work, squatting, hinging, pushing, pulling, big bilateral movements, that's a problem, in my, in my mind anyway. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think that's the biggest misconception with younger athletes. They talk about well, they want to get big and strong, and the first thing they do is go to the dumbbells, which have, yeah. which have their place. Which in has their training. place, yeah. But, but
2: like, <laughs> if you're wanting to get strong, if you're wanting to get big, if you're wanting to make progress, you've got to stick with the meat and potato movements, the things that are proven over time,
1: and, frankly, the things that you can add the most weight to the bar in yeah. So I just wanna I just wanna you know make sure that we confirm this. you're telling me that you can't just vertimax your way into being a better athlete no no you no no
2: <laughs> um,
1: and man if i if I never hear the word Vertamax. anyone it, who tells you <laughs> you
2: can just do that it's and's had results from that it's it's more so the person didn't know how to jump you, <laughs> you know? wanna get your and verti- obviously you're gonna get better
0: jumping by jumping, yes, you want to get your vertical up, get your clean up there you go, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it's like, you know, the, uh, the, it's, the, it's the base for all that stuff. I mean, uh, for power and explosives, it has to be built on a, uh, on a certain level of strength.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, the way I go about programming, um, specifically, specifically with volume, I think is a little different than most people um, because I look at uh, main work and accessory work differently. Okay, and what I mean by main work is anything I program that has a percentage by it yeah. is I consider main work. Anything that doesn't have a percentage by it, and there's some exceptions. To this would be accessory. Okay, mm-hmm. and I try to maintain a inverse relationship between the two. Okay, so for example, um, starting out in a cycle. Okay, um, we'll, we'll take back SWAT for example. Okay, it's we'll say day two of your program. We just finished your. Olympic lifting, or you're you're not Olympic lifting, whatever. Um, you're going to back squat. Week one, we're going to start with the highest volume you can recover from, right off the bat. Okay, your accessory work, however, is going to be the least amount of volume you need to have an adaptation. Okay, yeah. so they're going to they're going to be opposite each other. Main work volume is going to start out extremely high. Accessory work volume is going to start out extremely low. As we progress week to week main work volume is going to come down, intensity is going to go up, accessory work volume is going to go up. So it's an inverse relationship mm. between the two, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is anytime you have started out in a program, okay, week one, first leg day, what typically happens afterward? Can't walk, athletes are talking about their lower backs killing them, they can't move, they're extremely sore, right? If you start out super high in volume everywhere, you're going to run into that. And then you run into what we talked about earlier with if you throw everything at someone right off the bat, there's nowhere to go from there, okay? So you're saving that. Um, And as your main work volume comes down, in order to uh, keep driving an adaptation forward in terms of uh, hypertrophy and overcoming more work because as your body gets better at recovering, You have to put more onto it to keep making progress. You've got to fill that gap somewhere, and the easiest way to do that is accessory work. You just do more work week to week. And when I say you do more work week to week, I don't want people to hear that and just make crazy jumps in volume week to week. It's add a set to everything. Add two reps to everything. If you did three by five week one, go to four by five. Go to three by eight, right? Don't make a jump in both each week. Don't go three sets of five, pull-ups week one and then go to four sets of 10 week two that doesn't make any sense it can't do that right yeah make reasonable jumps week to week but um be you know sensible about uh what your athletes can handle you know um beginner athletes are obviously not going to be able to handle as much volume starting out as your you know junior uh Football players are right. Right. They've trained with you longer and have you know gotten used to your style of training and are able to recover from stuff, so they can handle more volume on the front end. But I think having an inverse relationship between main work and accessory work is important because if you do it right, you're able to still do more volume week to week, which is important for hypertrophy reasons, work capacity reasons. But you're also still able to do uh, heavier weight because your main work is coming down, you're still able to drive a strength adaptation forward. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and another benefit of, of doing more volume, especially with beginners. Um, and also I'll say more volume, less movement variety with beginners is it gives them more opportunity to practice the movement. Yeah. Right. If you're doing uh goblet squats or front squats three days a week and you're getting 15 work sets that's 15 times they've had to practice the movement that's 15 sets they've had to get good at the movements so you feel comfortable progressing them to something else or however your you know movement progression and regression is right um so then the second uh category would be frequency okay how often you're training how often you're hitting certain movements okay and i have my opinions on this um Having experimented with my own programming, uh, working with athletes for four or five years now, working with uh, other powerlifters for a while now. But, um, you know, there's general guidelines you can follow. You know, I've found in my own experience that the bigger you are, the stronger you are, the less frequently you need to be doing the movements, Yeah. right? You know, when I started out, I was squatting twice a week. I was benching three days a week. I was deadlifting once a week, okay? Pretty general uh I would say like patterns that most beginners would Mm -hmm. follow of the big three. You know, obviously you can Olympic lift every day you train, you know, you can manipulate the movement you're doing. You can do complexes. You can break the movement up or movements up. You can Olympic lift every day. You can get away with it. Right. Um, But as a general guideline, most people can handle benching or I'll say upper pressing. It can be bench, can be military, whatever, two to three days a week. Most can handle squatting twice a week. And I don't recommend deadlifting more than once a week, just from the you know the nervous system demands whatever. Yeah. If you flash forward to where I am now, I bench twice a week, I squat once a week, I deadlift once a week. That's all I can handle. Yeah, yeah it's because got, you know?
1: you've gotten uh, you've gotten so far into that uh, into that energy system, you are so efficient within that uh, within that mm-hmm. high output energy system that if, when you start loading up the bar with the amount of weight that you can handle, it wrecks your nervous system and it right. wrecks your body a lot more than it would if I were to take. Uh, You know, a a tennis player who wants to get stronger, I throw I throw ninety percent of his weight of his Mm -hmm. one rep max in the bar. He'll probably turn out for eight sets. You you have to be uh, have a really good day to be able to hit ninety percent of your
0: max. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And you know, ultimately it's going to come down to the coach understanding uh, the athletes he's working with, what they need, what the sport needs, um, where they are training age wise. You know, the higher the training age, it can go both ways. The more they can handle, but also maybe the uh, more recovery they the more need. recovery they yep. need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's understanding, you know, your group, and quite frankly, it's getting experience with it. You know, mm-hmm. I it kind of drives me crazy. You see a lot of strength coaches. You know, it can be in in my field. It can be in you know one of the iron sports that they don't train, which makes no sense to me, mm-hmm. right? How are you going to practice, uh, or how are you going to preach, you know? Getting under a bar, you know, straining and 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 preach recovery and your lifestyle and all these things that are important for getting strong, and excelling in a sport. If you're not doing it, yeah, you know, and you have no you have no frame of reference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but anyway, um, getting off on a pretty, tangent pretty, there. Pretty, but, pretty
1: good segue into our, into the. Uh, in the last little tidbit there. Talking yeah. About- well, before we get to that last
2: little bit about programming uh, and then we'll move on yeah. talking about intensity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this probably is the one that I see people screw up the most. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the, if you don't know anything, you don't have an experience with anything. The common thought is to get strong, I need to lift heavy weight all the time. Yeah. No, it's not that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, my experience the bulk of your work, I'll I'll, I'll go as far as say seventy-five percent of your work should fall between sixty and eighty percent intensity. Okay, okay. Um, you know some people argue higher than that, lower than that, less percentage of your work in there. I've just found that that percent range allows for the most work to be done. The
1: uh, you talk, you're talking about in terms of uh, of total of total reps. Yeah. Like total repetitions? Okay.
2: Yeah. Um, total repetitions or just number of sessions, if okay. you will like. If you're gotcha. looking at a 12-week program, um, say you're going to test week 13 or test week 12, really weeks one through eight, I'm not probably not going above 80% okay, ever. Um, because I'm trying to accumulate as much work, as much reps, as much volume as I can in that rep range. Because A, I can recover very quickly in that window I can get a ton of work done in that window and I'm getting stronger yeah. in that window you know and I'm getting hypertrophy uh benefits and what you run into is above 80% which certainly has its place you mm-hmm. definitely need to go above 80% but it needs to be planned I will say um you start having to look at adding in recovery okay below 60% while it has its place maybe week one of a program coming back from you know time off or whatever you start looking at diminishing returns. Okay? Yeah. You're not really getting a ton of strength benefit. You are getting some hypertrophy benefit. You're getting some work capacity. But that that below 60, you're not really going to get a ton in terms of uh, strength benefit. So, um, you know, I would say plan to go above 80%. Have it, you know, periodized out to where it makes sense leading into it. You know, just don't randomly do it. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, man, they're, you know, the bar's flying today at 75%, 70%. Let's go up to 85 No, mm. that's not sticking to the plan. That's not being patient. Right. Um, so that you know, that would uh, kind of wrap that up on programming. And, and uh, the third category um, would be lifestyle nutrition. Okay. And I'm going to be the first to say I have no certifications in nutrition. I'm no health expert by any means. What I do know is how to get big, how to get strong. Um, you know not to be that guy and brag on myself but I was um, 125 pounds in the seventh grade I graduated high school at 250. Um, I walked in at Southern Miss at 255 260 and by my junior year was 310 so I do know how to gain weight um, and I think I have a pretty good handle on how to do it in a like reasonable fashion without yeah. just getting, you know, sloppy, sloppy. and gross yeah. and uh, you know, eating a bunch of crap that's not helping you. Um but when it comes to lifestyle and nutrition, you know, when you're talking with your with your athletes, you've got to understand, especially beginners, you can't come at them in a like in a sense or tone of voice of like, shame on you for doing everything you've been doing. You know, you've been wasting time. Like you gotta understand people don't know any better. Yeah. Right? You may be working with an 18-year-old who's a freshman in college who's eaten and drank a certain way 18 years of his life. Mm-hmm. He literally doesn't know or she literally doesn't know any better, right? So you have to be patient and understand that you are addressing topics that, and presenting information to people that is completely foreign, yeah. right? And with that being said, you've got to uh, be strategic in making small changes, Right, don't try and change everything someone's doing right at once because right. you're going to overwhelm them. They're going to they're going to get frustrated. They're going to give up. Right, um, but you know one thing you can stress to them: if getting stronger, getting bigger, getting better is a priority, your life outside of training's got to reflect that. Yeah, right, the absolutely. old saying goes: you train for an hour, you have twenty three hours to screw it up. Mm-hmm. Right, um, so I'm not going to get into you know like more sensitive subject matter but if they're having issues like drug and alcohol you've just got to find a way to frame it that you know you're spending all this time training investing in your body trying to get better you're you're wrecking it with everything you're doing outside of yep. outside of the gym you know if if the, if training and getting better is a priority what you're doing outside needs to reflect that if you're going to maximize what you're doing. You're going to train, especially in the NCAA, you're going to train regardless. You have right. to. It's mandatory. It's not voluntary. You're going to train, right? So you may as well maximize what you're doing. You're spending all this time in the weight room, in the training room, running, conditioning, lifting weights. You may as well take advantage of it and let it do its thing by not uh, you know, wrecking and sabotaging your progress outside of it. Okay? Um, and, you know, the question always comes up, and I'm sure you guys get this all the time, younger athletes wanting to get big. The other part of that is I got to gain weight. I got to yep. gain weight, right? It's and, always the second question. Yeah, how do I gain weight? How do I gain weight? And really the simple answer is, well, you got to eat more, you know, because okay. if, you, if it comes down to it, at, at its simplest, uh, in the simplest sense it is, it's math right? Yep, it's absolutely. calories in, calories out. If you're not gaining weight, increase your calories until you start seeing the scale go up. Yep. Right. If you're losing weight, it's the opposite of that, obviously. Okay. Um, you know, when, if you're looking at like a, a skinny, skinny kid who's wanting to gain weight, you know, he's spending all this time in the weight room, lifting weight, doing the best he you can. You've got to stress to them that in order to get big and get strong, you have to eat like it, right? You have to be willing to get uncomfortable. And that was the thing that I struggled with for a long time was you have to eat to the point and pass the point of getting uncomfortable, right? And you don't want to give someone an eating disorder, obviously, right? (laughs) You don't want to make someone eat until they start throwing up after every meal or they're, like, skipping me. Like, you don't, I'll say now, like, you don't want to cause that. But they have to get comfortable with the idea of you have to eat every two hours. Mm. You have to eat until you are bloated and full and then, you got to do it again. You got to do it again. You got to do it again. And then when you think you can't eat anymore, you know, I need you to. It,
1: beca- it becomes a part time job. If, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean. Getting, if, abs- if, getting, if, if training for absolute strength and getting bigger and stronger is what you want to do. Yeah. And know. I
2: mean, like, quite honestly, it's an investment. It's expensive. Yeah. You know, if you're looking at like a high school athlete who is used to eating once, twice a day, you're asking me six. You know, you want him to eat all this food. You want him to drink a gallon of milk a day. Like his investment in food is <laughs> about to triple, you yeah. know, like they have to understand that. But again, you go back to, is this important to you or not? If yep. it is, then it's a no brainer. You got to do it. And, um, when it comes to like the next question is, well, okay, I need to eat more. I get that. What do I need to eat? Okay. Keep it simple. All right. Just keep it as simple as you can. Is there protein at every meal? Yes or no, okay? Do you have a fruit or vegetable at every meal? Yes or no. Do you have some kind of perfect world, complex carb at every meal? Yes or no, okay? Again, understand who you're working with, right? If they don't know what any of that means, just lay it out for them. Give them some options for each one. Yeah. If, you know, they're just going to fight you tooth and nail over, I don't eat vegetables, okay, fine, eat some fruit, okay? Throw it. Throw some spinach in a shake, Okay. Uh, I I don't I don't eat you know whatever complex carb that's fine find some kind of carb they'll eat because again we're talking about gaining weight we're talking about getting strong we're not talking about getting a six pack right you know at the end of the day calories are calories we need that um, so uh, you know when in doubt keep it simple um, I would tell I would tell them also hydration is hugely important mm. you know uh, if you if you were trying to get strong and you're not drinking a gallon of water, you need to fix that immediately. That's an easy fix to make. Yeah, uh, Just very simple, get a gallon jug of water, drink that every single drink day. It. Yep. Um, you know, and and the last little bit I would say about this topic, um, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with adaptation, it drives me crazy, and this is a really big pet peeve of mine, when I see beginner athletes, high school athletes um, – or anyone really who doesn't have a lot of training age under their belt, going to uh, spending all this time on a foam roller, spending all this time Mm -hmm. in a cryo chamber, getting massages using Normatec boots. You haven't trained enough. You don't train hard (laughs) enough to need any of that. Stop it. Take all the time you're spending on recovery. Do more squats. Do more pull-ups. Do more power cleans. You get some don't food need that. in your hand. <laughs> get some food in your hand. You know, like instead of foam rolling, eat more. Yeah. You know, it's like Hunter was talking about with adaptation. If you throw everything you have at your body immediately, it gets used to that being normal. If I am already going to a cryo chamber, that's normal to me. There's nowhere to go from that. Yeah. I get into hard training. What else is there to do? Yeah. You know, there's nowhere to go. So that's my yeah. uh that's my little rant about recovery.
0: I think with uh, with Young athletes especially, the first step is just awareness. Because I see it all the time when uh, I talk to a kid or their kid's parents. They just eat. They eat so much and they can't gain any weight. Well, when you actually dig into what what eating so much means, like they come home for dinner and they eat a lot at dinner. But they don't eat breakfast. Yeah, they're not eating at no. school. They're eating maybe a peanut butter sandwich at lunch. They're and probably they're not eating
2: anything before they go to bed. Yeah. You know, drinking a shake or anything. And, and
0: I was in that in that – in that category, when I was in high school, I mean, I never ate breakfast. I would I would sleep as late as I could. I would get up, I would go to school, then I would eat a peanut butter sandwich at lunch and maybe some chips and some candy, and then I would go to practice, and I'd be starving at dinner. I'd be like, man, I eat so much, I can't gain weight. Well, if you actually add up how much, I was probably eating less than 2,000 calories a day, but I was full at night, so I thought I was eating a lot, and I see this all the time when we actually get the kids to start breaking down. Well, what are you actually eating? And write it down, and you start adding it up, and they're – they're struggling to get over 2,000 calories a day and they wonder why they can't get over 150 pounds or they can't get stronger. Just be, being aware, like, you need to be eating at the bare minimum breakfast, lunch, and dinner and then something after you work out and probably a whole lot more than that. And then, like you said, with the water piece, they're probably not drinking any water. Yeah. And so just becoming aware of of what you're actually doing is the first step, in my opinion. And then after that, you can say, okay, well, we need to make some changes to that because getting bigger and stronger is... like you said, simple. It's working out consistently and eating a lot consistently.
2: Yeah. And it's doing it for really years on end. Yep. Um, You know, back to the the food thing, I would say most people fall under the category of it's not what you're eating, it's how much you're eating and how often you're eating. Yeah. You know, fix that first and then worry about what they're actually eating Mm -hmm. first. You know, because
1: if... It's a it's it's easier it's easier to um, start people off by giving them more options mm-hmm. than it is to take things away. Yeah. You know, add things in first before you start just taking things out of their diet.
2: Yeah, and I mean, really, a simple change is okay. You're going to eat three meals a day. You're going to shoot for I don't know eight hundred a thousand calories at each meal. You know, you're going to add in some kind of big post workout shake, and then you're going to drink another big shake before you go to bed. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's not asking a lot, you know. Now, obviously, your 150-pound kid's not going to eat 3,000-calorie meals, but, you know, scale it to, to what's reasonable. But three meals a day and two basically milkshakes plus water, that's not that's not that much. That's yeah. not, you know, asking that much. It's not going to crazy lengths to, to get it done. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, real quick before we wrap up this part of the episode, Mike, I wanted to kind of just get your opinion on um what are the common denominators you see with the the successful uh strength coaches in the industry and, and the athletes that you see that have the most success, maybe they make the most progress um in their time in college. Maybe they come in uh at one level and they leave like the you know, all all conference or whatever uh and exceed your expectations what are the common denominators you see in those two types of people um with the uh with athletes the big
2: thing is uh consistency Mm -hmm. you know um not only with what they're doing and how they they go about their day and go about their training but just their consistency and their attitude and their demeanor they're the same way every time they come in the weight room with us you know we know what to expect and when we know what to expect, or I know what to expect with an athlete. I'm able to coach them harder and better, you know. Um, if I've got a kid that's just all over the place all the time, then, you know, I have to kind of be on guard to react differently at a moment's notice to them. So consistency would be big. Always finding ways to do more and do extra. Um, you know, we, in our, in our weight room, we try to pride ourselves on where our kids are always going to do more than everyone else, you know, they come in on Saturdays, they come in on off days. And, you know, when you add in an extra session every single week over the course of a four-year career, I mean, that, that's basically an extra year of training that they're getting for, you know, nothing. So that, that's big. Um, Being patient with the progress or with the process, you know, um, in the NCAA there's always, you know, coaching changes and, you know, kids get frustrated and want to transfer and want to leave and, think they're, you know, not getting a fair chance. And you just got to understand when you're a freshman going in, you're 18 years old, you're going up against 22, sometimes 23, sometimes older people. I mean, they're grown ups compared yeah. to you, you know, you've got to understand you may not just beat out them right away. They've got four or five years of training, four or five years of practice game experience on you. Be patient with what you're doing. Your time will come. And, in my opinion, every time you transfer and obviously there's going to be exceptions to this, you know uh, if you've graduated and you're just looking for another opportunity whatever, but most of the time when you transfer to me you are kind of resetting what you're doing right? You come into a weight room you have to basically relearn everything. You may know everything but a good strength staff's not just going to let you jump into, you know, the hard training with the rest of the team so you're halting your progress, if you will. Um, And then with the coaches, you know, um, I've been fortunate to work for, you know, some very successful and and very good people. And, you know, some of the things they all have in common, um, I would say humbleness is first, you know, um, the most successful ones I've worked for. Um, they They don't brag about where they are or where they've been. You know, my boss has played in the NFL, coached in the NFL, I mean, he's, you know, been right there at the top of the profession. And unless you just asked him about it, he's never going to tell you that. Um, you know, he's he's very humble about where he's been and how he's gotten there. Um, always willing to work. You know, it's easy to, to let the interns do stuff and, and clean and everything. But um, I think it's important to, you know, set an example. And, you know, you got to understand that. And, I mean, you guys understand it's owning and operating a gym that – the athletes are always watching you always, you know, they're, they're looking to see how you go about your day, how you carry yourself, you know, or your, or your socks matching, or you picking up after yourself, you cleaning the chalk up, Are you putting your weights up. Like those little things are important. Mm. You know, you've got to, you got to practice what you preach. And that really leads me into the last one. that I think is super important is you got to train, you know, you got to train. Like I just, I don't understand people who work in this profession You know especially in the NCAA the hours we pull you live in a weight room essentially you know it's your home away from home how do you not train how do you not like lifting weights Mm -hmm. if you work and live eat sleep and breathe in a weight room that just you know that that's always confused me and uh you know goes back to practicing what you preach like I take pride in my strength I take pride in in competing and winning and, and training hard and you know, I, I don't. I don't know if any of the athletes care about it. I think some of them do. Some of them always ask me about it. But you know, I try to set a good example in my own training for them. So I think that's important too.
0: That's cool, man. That and that's right along with what we look for in our coaching staff is people who are humble and people who are hungry. People who. Are always trying to get better and realize that we don't have it all figured out and we're trying to learn more and also that we're gonna go above and beyond yeah. not just do the bare minimum required. but we're always trying to lead by example and go above and beyond what is expected and and so that it just seems like that's the that's the same characteristics of, of successful people across all yeah. all avenues of life really oh Chris did you have anything you wanted to get get out of mic before we move on to the next segment
1: no, I think I think we're good. Strong words from a strong man over
0: here. <laughs> All right, well, cool. Well, uh, now we're going to move into our outside the box grill the guest. <laughs> so uh, we're going to grill the guest we today. We can't afford a sound
1: effects guy yet. <laughs> no, he does fine. <laughs>
0: and uh, since we have uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones on here today, <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> if you've ever seen him, he's a very large man. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're just going to go into the grill the guest segment, and we're going to ask... Uh, ask a few questions um i'll start with mine i always like to uh, ask our guests the same questions just to get to know you a little bit better i like to to know people's favorite tv show book movie and uh band or musician and uh, i feel like that kind of gives us a little bit of insight into you so uh kind of tell us your your favorite of each of those four categories what was the first one movie movie um
2: that's tough i watch a lot of movies um Hmm. The one movie I think I could watch whenever, if it's on TV, I'm going to watch is The Town. Yeah. Uh, ben Affleck. Yeah. Uh, love that movie. Seen it a ton of times. Uh, favorite TV show? Um, oh, that's another tough one. Uh, I don't know that I have, like, an absolute favorite TV show. I have, like, a lot of series that I watch kind of over and over again. Um I just got done watching Sons of Anarchy for like the sixth time. <laughs> um, I recently started watching um, the what's it called, The Last Kingdom, on yeah. Netflix. Um, the new season came out, so that's probably my current favorite. Um, what was the next one? Favorite book? Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to training and all things lifting weights so most of the stuff i read revolves around that Um, i've read the juggernaut method 2.0 by chad wesley smith probably a dozen times Mm -hmm. Um, i've had a lot of interns that i've helped read that book and always end up reading it with them and learn something new so if you're trying to learn you know anything about the, the iron game and or just want a good read about all things lifting weights i would start there uh and then favorite band. Um gosh, that's that that's probably the toughest one. Um I like rock, I like metal, alternative, grunge, um probably Alice in Chains.
0: Nice. Chris can Chris He's can a, get along if with if that If anybody's one, I...
1: been in the gym when I'm working out and he, Mike's a man after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well uh I just started that the uh Last Kingdom book series. Uh so I wanted to read the books before I started the TV show on Netflix, so I'm excited to get into that. Yeah, again. it's it's a it's a good TV show. Cool. Chris? Uh yeah.
1: right, so kind of staying with the movies and stuff, is Die Hard a Christmas movie?
0: Yes. <laughs> okay, we can have him back on a show Hold on another episode. Now that's been a big debate on uh, on the social medias uh, lately. about oh, yeah. a lot of people are saying it's not a it, Christmas movie. It is just
1: as much a Christmas movie as um, as Home Alone is.
0: Well, people love to
2: try and stir the pot a little bit at Christmas time. Everything's yeah. you know controversial and oh, yeah. offends
0: people, and just at every time in general <laughs> these days, people are always trying to stir the pot about anything and everything.
1: Yeah. Um, so my uh, my next question is. Uh, uh, college football playoff, keep it the same or expand it? Expand it. Um, I
2: think at a minimum you need to have eight teams involved. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I, I read something the other day that I thought would be cool. Um, they were talking about following the, what is it, FCS model? Yeah. The playoff, like the big, big playoff, and basically eliminating bowl games outside of that. Um, yeah. You know, because you're looking at all these guys are sitting out at bowl games now and – you know people are mad at them oh you know how dare you not honor your school and it's like well you know these guys have millions of dollars on the line like i understand why they're sitting out they don't want to screw up their you know their job their career moving forward so just expand it to a big playoff all your playoff games are technically bowl games and then everything else there is no last game there is no bowl game that's meaningless. I
1: I don't think there is a right or wrong answer to should I or should I not play in this bowl game. It completely depends on the situation. Yeah,
2: and like, I think the 14 playoff is an improvement on the BCS, but
1: it's still not good enough. Like This is what I would like to see. If they expand it to eight teams, what I would like to see is every every Power 5 conference, if you win your conference, you get a spot. Yeah.
0: And then that leaves you three at-large bids. Yes, the other
1: three are the highest ranked... uh, well, well that's what I'm saying is that those last three those last three go to um, uh, go to the highest ranked teams that are not conference champions so that allows like if Notre Dame is in the top uh, is in the top eight you know they automatically get a get a spot someone like US, uh, UFC would get a spot in there this time UCF, UCF. UCF sorry UCF would get a spot in there. Um, I think to me that'd be the best way to go about it because I just do not like the fact that uh, that you cannot win your, not be the best team in your conference and still and still be uh, be in the playoff.
0: I yeah. think with the four team playoff, you can make an argument that there's a team out there who possibly could win the national championship that didn't get make it. Yeah. I think with eight teams, I don't think you can make that argument. No, I don't think there's a team outside the top eight who who could realistically have a chance to win. So I mm-hmm. I really like the idea of having an eight team playoff. I, just as a fan, it would be fun to watch. I, I mean, more playoff games the better, in my opinion. Those are those are that's what I love. What love about the NFL so much is the playoffs. It's so much fun to watch, and uh, I, I would love to see an extra round in the in college football because Absolutely. I mean, like you said, the bowl games. I mean, they're cool and all, but they really don't matter that much. And you, yep. the stands are half empty, and and the best to, player to me, a lot of times isn't showing up. So
1: to me, to me, it's just the, the bowl games. It's just a little extra football before it goes away for the summer. Yeah. Um so my last uh, my last question are your your biggest uh, professional influences. You just give me two or three.
2: Um the my current boss, Zach Woodfin, uh is huge. He gave me my first opportunity. Um he's just far as character goes, he's probably the best man I've ever met or been around. Um really fortunate to uh get to work with him every day. Um Second would be uh, my first strength coach in college, uh, Paul Jackson. He's the head strength coach at Ole Miss. Um, He was my first exposure to any of this really in a a professional sense. Um, And I didn't really know that this was a field prior to getting to college. And when I saw him and his staff and how they went about things and how good they are at what they do, that's what made me decide I want to do this.
1: yeah, those are probably the the two big ones. I'll uh, I'll kind of wrap it up by, by saying this for you guys um, who don't know a whole lot about the world of uh, of college uh, college strength and conditioning. You want to talk about guys who absolutely eat, sleep, and breathe what they do. People that have just unbelievable passion for for their athletes and their uh, and their coworkers and just their profession in general. It is a it is a sun up to sundown job almost uh, almost year round you uh, you have to move uh, move around a lot I know uh, I know uh, Mike has a uh, has worked uh, worked basically for free for a, for a while before he was able yeah. to get his first paying gig I tell people a story about a buddy of mine who was a uh, an intern at, intern at Bellhaven an intern at, in Colorado Springs uh, GA at Valdosta State, interned at Baylor and LSU before he even got his first paying gig. It is a, uh, and um, I think it's a, uh, it's somebody, it's a, it's a, it's a profession that goes widely, wildly unappreciated. And um, there's uh, just, uh, if you ever have a chance to meet a college strength and conditioning coach and you're interested in fitness, man, dig into these guys because they have, you know, just more. They've read more books and they have more information than you can even, uh, than you can even fathom.
0: Hey, Mike, do you know that strength coach from Northwestern that was been all over Barstool at the games with the tight shirt? And no, I, I've, never I've
1: never met him. Um, I Nobody s- has ever broed so hard. I will
2: guy, I man. will say he's more of the uh, exception than the rule. Um, <laughs> my my job on the sideline wasn't this past year wasn't quite as uh, yeah. exciting. You, was, you weren't
0: the hype guy, huh? No, I
2: was the escort for anyone ejected for targeting
0: um, – And, you know, the funniest video of that was Northwestern. I forget who they were playing and they showed them warming up before the game and they all had their shirts off out there warming up. And then all of a sudden you see like this 75 year old guy out there with his shirt off. (laughs) What are you doing? You're not on the team, man, to put your shirt on. (laughs) Oh, that was funny. Well, well, Mike, thanks for being on the show, man. That was it was a really good interview. Uh, a lot of really good knowledge bombs in there uh, for people to nerd out on on the getting stronger, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll finish up with our uh, weekly recommends. Uh, Chris, do you have one? Uh, not today. Okay. Uh, so my recommend is uh, Shocker, another book uh, <laughs> that I just finished. Uh, it's called The Brothers Karamazov by Fio- F- I'm going to butcher the name da- Fyodor Dostoevsky. Yeah, uh, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh so I read uh Crime and Punishment in high school just cuz I was forced to and I actually enjoyed it. Uh but I've I've heard a lot about this book for a long time and I just finished it and it was uh it was it's one, known as one of the greatest novels of all time and I have to have to second that. It was a really really good book, really good philosophical book, makes you think a lot about uh about religion, about politics, uh, just about society in general. So it's a long book. If you enjoy, uh, a little bit more, uh, older, uh, literature, that's a little bit harder to get into, but, uh, really well written, then this will be for you. So, uh, check it out. Um, anything else you gotta, you gotta recommend Mike?
2: I do. Um, so fortunately and unfortunately traveling
0: back and forth between here
2: and Lawrence, Kansas is about a 13 hour drive It's giving me opportunity to, uh, listen to a lot of uh, podcasts and for anyone who has to travel really far like I do, um, hardcore history. Oh yeah. By Dan Carlin. Um, he, you know, seven, eight hours of him talking about a subject, you'll learn more in depth about it than, you know, you will in school. So, um, I just finished up the one on the, uh, Cuban missile crisis, and uh the cold war was really fascinating so if you got some time to kill i would recommend i haven't
0: that. listened to that one. which one was that what was it called uh
2: something armageddon
0: oh blueprint for armageddon
2: yeah. yeah no destroyer of worlds okay sorry yeah it's about uh it starts out about the uh creation and invention of the atomic bomb and then segues into the cuban missile crisis uh, i
0: have to go and listen it's to that long. one i didn't listen to that eight, one.
2: i think it's eight hours Woo.
0: Yeah, I've listened to most of those, and I, I think I think we've talked about it before on the show. My favorite one is the Wrath of the Cons one. Have you listened to that one? I haven't listened to that one. I think you long. his older ones before episode fifty. You have to purchase off his website. It's like five episodes for like ten bucks. I mean, it's yeah. like fifteen hours of content, so it's worth it. But that was my favorite one. Uh, man, he makes history fun. He, he really does. does. And uh, and it makes you want to really dig into history a little bit more. He's changing the history game, so to speak. So, <laughs> <laughs> I really I love that podcast, man. It might be the best podcast out there. So, uh, well, thanks for being on the show, Mike, and uh, thanks guys for tuning in. Uh, check us out on uh, iTunes. Give us a a review. Give us a, a rating. Uh, we've been getting we've been slowly uh, acquiring uh, reviews and ratings over over time. So we really appreciate you guys. And thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you guys next time.